I'm Michael Holly, and you're listening to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. Welcome to the Celtics Pride podcast on Celtics Blog. You can follow us on Twitter at Celtics Pride Pod. We are recording this immediately after game two of the preseason. We are going to be discussing both preseason games, giving our instant reaction. With me, Adam Motenko, as always, is my twin brother, Josh Motenko. That's right. Half the egg, twice the basketball experience. Let's go. I was waiting for you to rhyme with egg there. Never happened. And our good friend, Mike Minkoff. Hello, brothers Motenko. I just uh, just got back from the bathroom after kind of clearing out my innards from watching that uh, that preseason game against the Nets. So uh, I'm 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 ready to go. Had to had to hack up some uh, the the putridness of that game. Way too much information. <laughs> no, thank you for that. Uh, so before we get in here, I want to do a quick game with you guys. This is a game that that I call. I don't care. It's preseason. And what is required for this game, I'm going to need you both to give me a couple of negative statements, short statements about the Celtics. Uh, who wants to go first? I'll go first. Carson Edwards sucks. I don't care. It's preseason. Mike, do you want to go? Jalen uh, Jalen Brown is not ready for a secondary playmaker role. I don't care. It's preseason. Marcus Smart Brown. is not shooting well. I don't care. It's preseason. Josh. Um, I don't think Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown are really ready to be full-time facilitators to get other guys involved. Yeah, I don't care. It's preseason. I don't like this game. I love it. I love it. All right, what did you guys think? Uh, what do you think so far? Any uh, instant overreactions to what we're seeing in preseason? Uh, I mean, I stand by what I said. I don't think I, – I mean, I agree with Josh. I don't think I, – I, well – when Tatum has been on the court, we have looked like a basketball team. When Tatum is off the court, we look atrocious. And I would, I don't think Marcus Smart or Jalen Brown are showing any kind of maturity from the postseason in these. Obviously, yes, it's preseason, Adam. Um, but they, for the Celtics to not be a sub 500 team while Kemba's out, they have to become mature decision makers uh, and reliable decision makers that can actually lead a positive offense when Tatum's off the court. And the preseason has shown no evidence that they have the maturity to do that. Yeah. So as a fan, right, our job is to really care, even if it's the preseason. That's our job as fans. And as players, I think the Celtics are actually doing a pretty good job of not caring because it's preseason. (laughs) Pop quiz. What did what what is the purpose of the preseason according to Brad Stevens this year? Ooh, I I, I have an There's answer two to things that. he said. Yeah, yeah. Two things. So he has talked about how it's important it is for the rookies to get game film under their belt to be able to analyze. And I have been thinking about that for the entire preseason related to every player on the Celtics, even Tatum and Brown, playing the roles that they're playing now. They now have game film to analyze without Kemba on the floor. Tatum's the first option. Brown is the second. And I think that's helpful for them. So that's my answer. Exactly. He, he I said was right. good game film and good conditioning. That's what we're looking for out of the preseason. 
good conditioning and good game film. That's it. That's the purpose of the preseason. And when I look at the Celtics bench, especially when guys like Smart and Jalen Brown and the starters are on the bench, watching other guys play, they're joyous, they're happy, this, you know, we're losing, and it doesn't matter because I think the, the players are doing a good job of having good perspective. And you know, all we have as fans and commentators and media is snippets of certain plays that we may like or dislike, right? So when we see certain plays of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and they're not necessarily coming to a stop on their drives or drawing two defenders in order to get somebody else open, but rather they're just kind of driving into the paint and, and looking at different options and they finally find, you know, the lesser of two evils kind of a situation. That's not really facilitating much offense. Yet at the same time, we can point to certain plays like certain moments in time, like there was one play where Aaron Neesmith had to chase, um, who was it? He had to chase somebody over two screens to get to the other side of the ball and then a third screen to come back to the other side. And he was kind of running all over the place. And I was like, okay, way to go. Like you're tagging that shooter. You're going over all the screens. You're still there on the catch. Like that, to me, that's like a tiny, tiny win for a guy that we don't know if he can play NBA defense yet. You know, so it's kind of, deal where you look at the mistakes and, and you kind of throw them out and you you try to pick up the little uh snippets of good plays that you see from the rookies and from you know people that you're you're trying to see what they've gained in their game over the offseason i don't i don't know i just i disagree with that um I, I, yes that's true if you're a development program but that's not what the i mean that's not in theory what the celtics are trying to be right right the celtics I don't think want to take a pronounced step back this season. Um, but they're going to, if, if their lead players don't take major steps forward and, you know, yes, you can say, Adam, it's preseason. It doesn't matter. But two years ago, the Celtics looked disjointed in the preseason, like really disjointed. They didn't play together as a team. And what do you know, all regular season, they never played together as a team last season. They looked much better in the preseason. They, they looked cohesive. They looked like they kind of understood their roles. Um, and what do you know, over the course of the season, they made a lot more sense. So I do think the preseason can be illustrative of, of how things are going to play out. And I think what we're seeing with the, the team right now and the rotations is kind of what we were worried about. There's not, <laughs> There's no options like once Tatum goes to the bench. Yeah, but Mike, the three of us have been watching the Celtics since, what, 1987, 1991, somewhere around there. How often has the preseason actually shown you what's to come in the regular season? I, I, I can't say over the whole entirety of that period, but I can say the, the last three shoot. years, it's been, it's been telling. And I, you think I, so? Yes, I just said so. <laughs> I'm Adam, reiterating Adam, it. Straighten, straighten your former roommate out, Adam. I think, Mike... Uh, the argument. You, okay, let me let me, let me ask you, let me ask it this way. Let before. me finish. The argument that the preseason is illustrative of what is going to happen it sounds to me like an argument one makes during the preseason to convince themselves that they can uh, have judgments about what's happened here. And I just want to say I am very I'm very proud of myself, not just for guessing 
the purpose of the preseason, according to Brad Stevens, illustrated by Josh. But I'm proud of myself for not overreacting this year. I've done a great job. And Mike, I don't want you to pull me into that black hole. But go ahead. What's your what, what's your phrase? Okay. So I'm going to I'm going to offer two bets. <laughs> uh, or two two statements. One, do you think so, so you're genuinely not worried at all about the Celtics over the next month with Kemba out? Oh, I, I've already two, expressed how worried I am. I expressed it all off season, but that so doesn't why, mean that. But I'm not going to overreact to what I'm seeing in this game film from the preseason. That's what I'm wh- saying. Well, how are you defining overreacting? So here's my overreaction. My no, over- answer my question first. I, I'm going to give you an example. My okay. overreaction to the to the preseason is that Peyton Pritchard and Aaron Neesmith can play rotation minutes for the Celtics. I think that is an overreaction because I really don't know if it's true, but a lot of what I'm watching, I'm watching the game today, go, watching Pritchard going, oh, okay, he can hang. He's going to be able to hold his own. He can shoot off the dribble. He's defending okay. Like Josh said, he's, you know, he's, he's calling out switches. He's doing the kinds of things that you need to do to get minutes on the court for, on a Brad Stevens team. He's, he does not look out of place. And Peyton Pritchard did not look great in this game, but he, lo- he did look good in the, in the first game. Those, to me, are overreactions to the preseason. These guys are rookies. It's going to be totally inconsistent throughout the season for them. Um, so the, the fact that that is my overreaction, to me, is a very... I, I'm watching all of the same things you are, Mike. Tatum and Brown look terrible. Marcus Smart looks terrible. This team looks totally disjointed. And I'm just not going to draw a conclusion on that. I'm not going to say that because that's happening during preseason that that's what things are going to look like. Five to seven games into the season, if it still looks this way then I'm very happy to to call that out and, and be very concerned about it. Okay. I, I just, uh, like, these are things that we talked about before the preseason game started as the areas that the Celtics needed to improve. I, I'm not saying that yeah. the Celtics season is over, but I find it concerning that they had two games, two, like, live-action games to show that they've had some in- incremental or, uh, you know, I think ideally it would have been more than incremental growth on some of these weaknesses that we've known about that manifested in the playoffs that you know the fact that they couldn't make good decisions in a half court offense was why we teams like Toronto and Miami were so successful with the zone against us it was a super short offseason but the fact that Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart are hucking up bad threes and looking completely out of sorts on offense um is is concerning <laughs> i don't know like players aren't concerned because players are have elite level confidence to be at that level but brad steven sounded concerned after the game you think so brad steven right after the game said we're not even close to that group that was in the bubble we've got a lot of work to do to get to that point and a lot yeah, of good film I mean, to prove it yeah, and there's there's only been two weeks to get some you know four new players acclimated while Kemba Walker, Tristan Thompson, and Romeo Langford are out, including Tice in the first game. I thought it was good to see Tice back in the lineup playing in this game, you know, and and uh, without Gordon Hayward and Kemba Walker, you know, we really need three guys to step up and be facilitators. And with all it. the talk of Tatum saying that that's his goal for this season is to try to be more of a facilitator. You know, I think it's okay to be negative that maybe those guys aren't ready to do that yet. They showed that in the bubble as well, that the, that they're not ready to be facilitators. And that was kind of our, our big weakness in the playoffs against the zone and, and just kind of in general. We've got a bunch of guys who are really nice guys, really good chemistry guys. Um, and they're, uh, they're like, 
some of them are tough, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we have enough guys who are aggressive offensively. I think that's kind of one thing that I saw over the course of the first two preseason games. Like when we had lineups of Ojale, Pritchard, Grant Williams, Teague, and Tatum. You know, Mike, you were talking about when Tatum's off the court, we look awful. I feel like even when he's on the court with a bunch of also rams, it's it's like you take it, no, you take it, no, you no, your turn. Like nobody wanted to actually step up and take the shot. Um, and we always ended up with a poor shot every time the ball got in the one good player's hands. You know, everyone just kind of stood around and Tatum ISO'd and and you know shot up a brick. But so I, I think that we do have a little bit of like a problem in terms of too many nice guys. But that's something that's going to get resolved over the course of the first 20, 30 games. And this may be a season when we look at the schedule and we look at all the intense games we have coming up, Bucks, Nets to start off the season, Pacers, Pacers, Grizzlies who are good, Pistons, Pistons, Raptors, Heat. You know, it's like we have a pretty tough first 10 to 20 games we know that, or we at least we should know that going in. And we should temper our expectations so that our guys can get back from being injured. We can get through the, that difficult schedule in the beginning and that we're going to be better later in the season than we are in the beginning of the season. And that doesn't mean that we should sound a bunch of alarms. I don't think. I just find it interesting. Like, you were so, so, so hard and critical on like Tatum in the postseason, last season. Yeah. 21-year-old guy carrying a team to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, uh, Tatum, again, I actually, like, he didn't shoot well. I had no problem with how he played, to be honest. Um, I thought he took pretty good shots. He had played with really good poise and pace. Um, he he wasn't forcing the issue. I'm just I'm just really worried about uh, Brown and, and Marcus Smart. Like, Smart has been in the league for six years now he needs to be playing under better control. And I don't know if this is a smart issue at this point or a Stevens issue or, or the two of them, but something he has to mature his habits. And no, um, that's who he is. He's always, that, that's like a that. problem then that that's well, going to be Steph a problem. Curry's, even Steph Curry, you know, does a little bit of that exact same thing. Where but he takes Marcus smart is not Steph Curry. Steph Curry is a transcendental player. Marcus Smart is awesome defensively. He's not transcendental at the level that Steph Curry is or was. We do if he's going to be that. We we need him to be – for the team to go where it wants to go with this current makeup, Marcus Smart can't make decisions the way he makes decisions. He has to get better. Here's the thing, though. We can't, we Mike, can't say that's just who he is. He has to get better, or, or he's probably going to get moved. Mike, were you okay with how Marcus Smart played in the bubble? At times, that was the most mature he's played, but there were still times when his decision-making was problematic, where he over-dribbled, where he forced the issue, and I was really hoping that he was going to come back and, and show you know a more kind of contained version of himself and he comes out this game and he's shooting early in the shot clock from three. And maybe it's because it's the preseason, but I think it's because without Kemba there, he thinks he should just be scoring all the time. And, you know, with both smart and Brown, like I was saying before that I think the Celtics are going to struggle a lot and they're going to start slow. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if Kemba misses 15 games, the Celtics start as, as bad as something like six and nine or five and 10 based on what we've seen in the pre preseason. 
and and how difficult the schedule is. You know, Milwaukee, so, the Pacers twice, Memphis, they get Toronto in there, Miami a couple of times. Um, it's going to be a tough sledding. Go ahead, Josh. So as as a host of the Celtics Pride podcast, what is your responsibility? What's your job? If that's what you foresee happening, I mean, shouldn't we be here talking about when that happens? We're going to hear a lot of fire Ainge, fire Brad Stevens, all that stuff from the fan base, right? Shouldn't we temper those overreactions? I don't know. I'm just reacting to the game and what I saw and what I'm concerned about. Right. So now imagine, imagine for a second, Mike, that you're, that you're a coach, you know, cause I've been a coach. So I'm coming at this from the coach's perspective. And as a coach, who's also a fan, it's easy to slip back into that fandom mindset where you're kind of reacting to what you're seeing right in the moment. And you're like, well, he's got to be better at this. And I'm worried about that. Right. But imagine for a second that you're a coach and you're in the locker room and you're giving, you know, you, it's now your turn to have the floor. You say what you need to say to the team. If you start saying all those things to the team, you know, they're, they're going to look at you like you're crazy because it's the, I wouldn't season, say right? it to the full team, you know but I, mean? I would hope, I would hope that's that, uh, but I don't, I would want at some point in the last six years to <laughs> for Brad Stevens to have pulled Marcus Smart aside and, and push him a bit more aggressively than I would guess Stevens does because of his style uh, to kind of really mature and discipline as a, as a decision maker. Mike, um, Mike I, I am seeing everything that you are seeing. I agree with, with what we are seeing. I'm just not ready to use the preseason as a data point to create the level of concern that you are. I want to hear from you guys, uh, your thoughts on the rookies. I want to talk about rotations. I want to talk about Kyrie returning to the garden. Oh, I don't want to talk. Hold about on. That. We're going to do all that. We're going to do all <laughs> no. that when we get, we're doing all that right after this. All right. Uh, Peyton Pritchard looked great in game one, 16 points. He was not shy. He was aggressive. Aaron Neesmith looked uh, pretty good, comfortable in both games. Didn't really flash a ton, but it looks like he can hang. Josh, uh, you were like the Peyton Pritchard guy coming into the preseason. What do you think about both of these rookies and the potential roles that they can play this year? I think they're outplaying other players on the team. I think that Peyton Pritchard is better than Tremont Waters. I think that um, Aaron Neesmith is is better than uh, other guys who could play in front of him potentially this year, like Semi Ojale. Like I'd rather see Neesmith than Ojale at this point. I'd much rather see Peyton Pritchard than Carson Edwards. Mike, I know you agree with that. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I you know. As you were just kind of presenting the, the characterizing the rookie performances, Adam, I agree with you that what you said earlier was a, a more of an overreaction, in my opinion, than what I said about Smart and Jalen Brown. Like, look, yes, I, I agree. Peyton Pritchard is, as I texted you both earlier, a million times better, or maybe I said 10 million times better than Carson <laughs> Edwards. But I don't think, I have not thought Carson Ed, Edwards. Carson Edwards was an NBA player basically since the moment he set foot on a court with the Celtics jersey on. 10 million, um, 10 million times zero is still zero. Yeah, exactly. It was like 10 million times 0.01. Like Peyton Pritchard, I, I agreed with what you said, Adam. Peyton Pritchard 
look like he belonged on the court. It's not he's not dominant, but he doesn't look like he's completely out of place. I don't think it's a mistake that he was basically the first or second guy off the bench in the rotations in both games. Um, that was certainly a very loud uh, signal from Brad Stevens about um, what he and the coaching staff think about the way that Pritchard has carried himself and, and performed and practices clearly. Um, and that I have no reason, uh, you know, it certainly seems like Pritchard can be a regular rotation player in the regular season. Um, even once rotations maybe get shortened past after the first, whatever, 15 to 20 games of the, of the year. Mike, you mentioned, uh, the signaling that Brad Stevens is doing in the way that he's showing rotations. Watching the first half of this second game, I started to think, I feel like we're getting a sense of what these rotations look like. The Williamses are going to play. Like you said, Mike Peyton Pritchard is going to come off the bench and play some minutes. I think Aaron Neesmith is going to play a little bit. Uh, Josh, what what are you seeing in terms of these rotations? Uh, Do you think that what we've seen so far is indicative? No, I'm not really looking at the rotations much. I mean, I do think it's somewhat interesting that Javante Green has started both preseason games. Yeah, It's kind of interesting to have an athletic wing stepping in so that Marcus Smart can play the point to start things off with Kemba out. But I still assume that Jeff Teague is going to step into that role and Marcus Smart's going to play the two when the regular season begins. But you, you kind of never know with Brad. And if we know one thing about him, we know that he's going to try lots of different things when he's got new players to experiment with. So we have a whole season to look forward to of that. Um, and I yeah. don't think Javante's played all that bad. You know, it's, it'd be nice to have another guy, another facilitator, but we don't have that right now. I'm kind of looking at this TPE, this traded player exception. Oh no. Uh, for next off season is something that maybe we can replace some facilitating and ball handling responsibilities um, you know, with somebody with some size, but you know, that's, that's kind of wishful thinking and, and I'm putting that on the shelf. And for now, I'm I'm looking at Neesmith. I'm looking at Pritchard. I'm looking at Romeo Langford as guys. I'm excited to watch play. I'm down on Carson Edwards. I still can't believe that he just can't shoot at the NBA level when that's all he could do in college. It was really good. Um, and you know, Ojale is Ojale. He's still getting blown by, by reasonable players. So this whole idea that he's, a plus defensively and a negative offensively. Like I just don't, I just don't see that. Cause well, he's definitely like a negative I, offensively, Josh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think, I think he's the, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not interested in him that much either, but you know, we have some new guys that I'm excited about. We got some guys that were waiting to come back from injury, but once Kemba's back, once Tristan's back, I mean, Thompson's not going to help us much with facilitation. And it seems like now that we've got like the, some more bulk up front, we got that that hole in the five spot kind of covered. We've got some more point guards, so we've got the backup one spot covered. I think that you know Wanamaker Wanamaker did a decent job, but I think we're going to be better at that spot this year. So the holes we had last year, we've kind of covered up, in my opinion. But we're still looking for some shooting off the bench, and it looks like maybe facilitating from a position of size is an area of maybe a little bit greater concern. But not, I don't, I don't think it's time to overreact on that. I'm just looking at how that develops with guys like Smart and Brown and Tatum um, and, and maybe Kemba for that matter. Maybe he's a guy when he comes back that he steadies the facilitation shift a little bit instead of just being a, a score first guy. 
Mike, is is Javante Green getting these two starts? Is that kind of like a ceremonial reward for the fact that he's a hard worker? He's been on the team. He's he's a more of a vet, and you just and he, and Brad wants to make sure that the rookies earn their minutes. No, I don't think so. I don't think it has anything to do with the rookies. I mean, nothing that Aaron Neesmith has done suggests that he should belong in the starting lineup right now. Um, and Peyton Pritchard doesn't make sense in the starting lineup. So I don't think it has anything to do with the rookies. I think Brad Stevens uh, is addressing what we were talking about uh, before the preseason started um, as far as concern of putting Teague in the starting lineup um, and affecting the rotation and affecting kind of not having anybody that can generate offense on that second unit. And he, um, for whatever reason, didn't feel like Grant in the starting lineup. It might be because he feels like the bench would be even thinner if he took Grant off the second unit, uh, was is probably trying to balance out the rotations a little bit. I think we saw at the end of the second quarter against the Nets uh, earlier tonight, um, they did play uh, the Tice, Grant Williams, Tatum, Brown, Smart lineup to close out that half. And if that felt like the way the Celtics, like what Brad Stevens thought was the best lineup, um, that that was kind of how I saw that that stretch of game. Um, so I actually, I, I disagree, Josh. I think that Javante might start the season as the starter. Um, and I think it's not because he's, better than other options as a basketball player, but he makes more sense for the rotations and he allows, he allows the second unit to not be as thin as, as it otherwise would be. And frankly, they're like, he's definitely better than Shemi and who else is he competing against? Yeah. And, and when you're saying like, it's better for the rotations, what you really mean is you're letting the bench guys settle into the roles they're going to have during the regular season instead of asking them to step up into and maybe one of them into the starting lineups and then other people to step up and off the bench in a different kind of way than would be expected of them. And then all of a sudden now you got to change when the, the starters come back, right? It, uh, I, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like in Jalen's rookie season, uh, there were stretches when he was a starter or like when Avery Bradley was in his second year, but basically his rookie season, cause he was so injured his rookie year. Um, and he was, you know, he was playing with all the big three. It, it was kind of a, a design that like masked a player that was otherwise, a, you know, kind of flawed, but you put him with more talent and he's able to kind of just do what he's good at and be less exposed with the things he's not as good at. And I think that's the position to put Javante green at, into because he's not gonna he can't carry an offense he can't he's not that dynamic a playmaker or a scorer or a defender he's he's kind of average at all of those um except dunking he's above average there (laughs) um but you can put him with you know the 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 more talented kind of foursome on the starting unit and and he can fit in without kind of mucking things up and then you have a second unit that you know, we'll have like Tristan Thompson and Grant Williams and Jeff Teague as a foundation. Um, and then I guess Shemi or Pritchard or Neesmith. Um, and it will still have some pretty very painful minutes there, but uh, it's less painful than it would be if, if you tried to kind of do the rotation differently. So I'm guess I'm guessing that's the logic that the coaching staff is applying. If Javante does start, 
as you're saying, it could be the type of situation where he starts and then plays only like 16 minutes every game where he just plays the first eight minutes of each half and then doesn't really come back into the rotation depending on how things are going. Yeah, uh, or could- less. Tonight, tonight he played only 10. You know, there's mm-hmm. guys, there's a lot of starting five men in the league that play 10 minutes a game, but they start the first the first half and the second half, and that's it. You know, speaking, he, so speaking of- I could see that. But at, at least Javante is going to be aggressive. Whereas I see, I see the facilitation issue as something that may be ongoing and something to watch. Do we have enough facilitators? And who of the bench guys are going to actually play aggressively? Like when Romeo comes back, we know he's going to be aggressive. He's not scared of the moment. He's not going to catch the ball and, and try to give it back to Tatum. You know, and Javante's not either. Javante's going to drive in there and try to make something happen. I find it interesting. Yeah, I find it interesting that you are like seeking. I don't feel like aggressiveness is our issue. It's it's so like smart. Score? It's smart aggressiveness. That's the like Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown don't lack aggressiveness. They're just bad at the way that they're aggressive. <laughs> like yeah, they it's just not within the flow decisions. of the offense. Yeah, they they force the issue. Like Romeo Langford will be aggressive, Pritchard will be aggressive, but it the problem is the only player that knows and and maybe sometimes he's not aggressive enough, but Tatum can be aggressive with flow and with pace and with patience and with you know um with a bit of well at at bottom line with effectiveness in a way that nobody else on the team so it's like who can effectively break down a defense and create and facilitate like you were saying earlier josh but i don't think it's just aggressiveness i think it's it's doing it in a in a really intelligent um way a, a purposeful way and i i think that is that is what you know I am concerned about now. I do think, you know, what I'm excited about Kemba's injury affording is, is a lot more reps for Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown and Tatum to get as facilitators and kind of realizing when I do this stuff and don't have someone like Kemba there to kind of help, you know, share the burden with Tatum of cleaning up my messes, we perform badly. And I think that's going to be good for their development, but I think it's going to be a really painful month a month or two without Kemba um, unless they, unless they show some really positive strides very early in the season. And my hope is that they show film of preseason mixed in with film of the playoffs of kind of the same exact actions, the same exact type of facilitation mistakes that, you know, I, I think is, is a trend right now for this Celtics team and is, you know, one of their limiting factors towards championship contention. Um, so I, and I think that that would be a cool film session to have anyway, is, you know, sprinkled in moments of last year with what we're seeing right now. And it's like, Hey, this, this trend is continuing. We got it. This is something we got to get better at. Film session, editing ideas are just things you do not get from other podcasts. Mike, uh, five thirty eight came out with its predictions and factoring in Kemba Walker's injury and Tristan Thompson's injury, they think the Celtics are just barely below the Lakers uh, in chance to win the title. Wait, did you confirm they definitely factored those in? Yes, I confirmed that. So they they are number two after the Lakers, and e- and at full strength, they're like just just like the tiniest little bit below. They're almost even with the Lakers at full strength. 
Did they uh, factor in the fact that Brad Stevens for the first 25 games is probably going to be playing like Carson Edwards for 10 minutes a game for completely unexplainable reasons? I, they may have factored in Evan Turner coming off the bench. It's unclear. Uh, I don't know what. I don't know how they did it. Uh, it did not match up with my expectations before the preseason games, and clearly not yours after watching them. Yeah, I I love the bullishness. Uh, you know, Josh, uh, I know you love to make fun of me, um, and my affinity for like stats based projections. Uh, but I think I'm with you on this one. Uh, the cry, you know, crying foul. Uh, I don't, I, I don't see it 538. Um, I don't think the Celtics are, you know, just a hair behind the, the LeBron AD led, uh, Lakers. Yeah. It was, it was interesting to watch the two of you stat lovers during last year's playoffs, like we're, we're literally watching the team in the playoffs, seeing that they're pretty much not able to get around the Miami heat and really struggled with the Toronto Raptors because of those zones that we saw. And all of a sudden you guys saw, Oh, 538 still got the Celtics as you know, one of the top three teams to win the championship. And it was like higher, their ranking was higher than yours in your mind. And it, I just, I loved watching your minds change a little bit just from seeing this political statistics website weigh in on the Boston Celtics. And now all of a sudden you're coming to, uh, coming to Jesus. I don't get it. I, I mean, even before the pre like the, this, it just, uh, honestly, I don't understand how their projection is coming to that. Those numbers, like Jason Tatum is rated very, very highly. Um, smart and Brown are rated highly as well. I, again, I, I guess what it comes down to for me is I think especially Brown and smart have been maximized in the, by the positions they've been put in by the Celtics teams and the talent, the other talent that has been on the teams, um, and I don't expect them to perform at the same efficiency levels when kind of one tick up as a focal point in the offense um, and two ticks up without either Gordon Hayward or uh, Kemba Walker for this first month. So I think that's, you know, what, what does give me hope for Jalen Brown is I think back to two seasons ago um, when, you know, the year with, with, uh, he who shall not be named by me, um, uh, who who burned sage <laughs> around the court pre before the game tonight. Yeah, let's, um, let's smudge out the bad juju. Oh my god! So so such a four camera thing. So ridiculous. Anyway, I wish so badly the fans were were in attendance oh my god, that for this been game. Amazing. Yeah, no kidding. Anyway, let me finish the thought real quick. So Jalen that year. Um, started had a really really rough start to the season right he was he was adjusting to being kind of put in this uh basically tertiary role after having kind of a bigger role as a as a in the second year uh rookie um and really struggled and then like come november like the second halfway through the second month they're starting getting into the third month of the season he like clearly just worked on the film worked on the film worked on his game and just excelled in that role and he figured it out and so i trust jalen brown and his the way he works the way he will study film understand his new role and responsibilities and grow into that he doesn't 
he doesn't adopt and uh, apply new skills at the rate that Jason Tatum does because Jason Tatum is just kind of a freak. Um, but he he does show market improvement and things like that. Smart, you know, Josh, like you said, that's just who he is. Like, it, I get, I'm worried about Smart. I, I was hoping he was going to kind of come and start off with on a more poised foot from the gate, from the get-go here. Um, and I was, you know, I've been championing for him to be our like starting point guard for over a season now. Um, so that I think that's where my concern is coming from, from the way he's played these first couple of games. It's preseason. Josh, what were you going to so, say about Kyrie? Yeah, I missed I missed this whole uh, a sage smudging incident. Can you, you know, please walk me through this? He's what in in the layup lines, he goes over to the leprechaun <laughs> with some sage and a lighter. How does this go he, down? He takes like like one of those like incense things, lights up some sage, and then walks literally around the entire perimeter of the court with Ooh. it burning. This is before so he, he created this before. This is like pre layup line, I believe. Yeah. So he 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 exercised. All of the bad juju from the court with his sage burning. That was, like I said before, I believe solely and and uh, effectively a for for the cameras performance. Um, I do not miss having him on the Celtics. So you know, Kyrie Irving, his grandmother is Native American from Standing Rock Sioux tribe. Uh, so the fact that he's burning the incense, you know, we can look at it this, look at it as this. I mean, do, you, do you know that that's Kyrie a cultural thing. practice of theirs? Of yeah, the, the Standing yeah. Rock burning, Sioux Indian, Native burning, Americans. I, look, Mike, you're, you're testing my knowledge of the Sioux tribe right you're now. You're the one bringing it up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, tell, I'm telling you that I know for a fact that Native Americans have been burning sage for a long time as a cleansing ritual. I know for a fact that Kyrie Irving's got his first game back to the Boston Garden. You know, in the, on this podcast, I think it's fair enough that we can give him both the benefit of the doubt of doing a ritual like this, you know, from his tradition that he reconnected with recently, and say that it's ridiculous at the same time. But I think it's important to do both. It's important yeah. to be culturally sensitive and to say, you know, like, wait till the fans come back and, and react to how you're smudging I, the, the, the out-of-bounds lines then. I don't believe it's culturally insensitive or otherwise to say it's just absurd to burn sage and walk around the periphery of a basketball court before you play. Um, I just, I just like why that it's not a cultural, it's that's ridiculous. <laughs> well, my guy, Phil Jackson would be proud. That's exactly right. Uh, you know, obviously it's not cultural appropriation that he was doing it. Uh, no concerns there. It's just so not Boston. It's so not Boston. And and the fact that he needs to come into this court, apparently he also did it uh, in Brooklyn, but the, the perception of it that he's coming back to Boston, he has a history of, of not returning to the first game back to a city, especially when he was, uh, when he knows he's not liked there. There's no fans in the arena and he still has to kind of get rid of the bad energy of the place it is pretty funny, uh, especially in and context with everything else he's doing. If I have to hear Kyrie talk about what he does as art again, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to lose it. And, you know, in the pregame uh, commentations, I guess, for lack of a better word, by guys like Jay Williams, you know, they were saying, what do you want to see in this game? And, 
one of them said, you know, Kyrie's coming back. You know, I'd like to see these guys on the Celtics really come out there and really try to lock up Kyrie Irving and try to shut him down. And and I'm sitting there thinking, like, they're not going to do that. Why? Adam, tell me why. I I we saw <laughs> I mean I was going to say so again, there's video of them all dapping him up and excited to see him and stuff like that. Yeah, and so it's again it's like these guys are well trained by the coaching staff to not overemphasize how this game goes, how they play in this game, etc. They need good conditioning, good film, and we'll move on and and when the games really matter and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't playing well, then we can, you know, we can humor you, Mike. Okay, let's do one final round. Final thoughts on the preseason, which is now over. We'll start with me, then go to Josh, and then we'll end with Mike. And Mike, I want to I want to hear a positive thought at the end. Uh, my two, Carson Edwards is going to have a great career in China, possibly somewhere overseas. It ain't happening in the United States. And it was really nice in the last game against the 76ers to see Vincent Poirier on another team. Awesome. Good work, brother. I got you with the taco fall here. We haven't talked about him all podcast. And I know, Mike, you've been waiting for me to weigh in on the big matchup that I've been waiting to see since last <laughs> season, middle of the year. We finally got to see Taco Fall defend Joel Embiid. And I was go? taking notes. I was taking notes. He was, I think he started out 0 for 2, Embiid did, on Taco Fall. I, I was excited, Mike. I, I was excited. <laughs> I was updating my notes by the shot. And then obviously I think he ended up like one for three or two for four or something like that. And it seemed like Taco, when watching the film, it's pretty obvious like Taco's giving him a little bit too much room. And in no way do I think that Taco Fall is an Embiid stopper or a reliable option in any way against Embiid. Anymore. But it's just nice to see the the look. Like, let's get a look at it at least. You know, and I think that I think that he was in Embiid's head a little bit. Embiid hasn't seen a guy that size. Even Gobert is not that big. And so to have a guy like that, I think to throw at Embiid, it just shakes things up a little bit, which is more than you can say for, let's say, throwing Ennis Cantor at Embiid or Daniel Tice. So I was excited to see that, and I hope that we see that again in the regular season when we play Philly in game 12 or oh 13, God. whenever that is. Really? Uh, at least for a few minutes. Yeah, let's get a, let's get a look at it. Let's let these guys play and and watch the film after the game and then play again in the same matchups to see if they can improve. Um, because I don't think Taco is going to win any games by defending Embiid, but I don't, I, I don't want to have a game where we play Embiid and we don't see Taco out there at least for a couple minutes because he does something different. He, he gives Embiid a different look, which I think is important. I'm going to I'm going to try to give my takes but my head just exploded so it's going to be a little hard to talk. <laughs> um uh so I was I was really wanted to be positive Adam. I do <laughs> no. have one positive thing to say but I just I have to respond to what Josh just said. Um Taco Fall is not an NBA player. Uh we won we we destroyed the Sixers in the playoffs with Daniel Tice and Ennis Cantor as the ones guarding Embiid. Nothing you just said about that Taco Fall and Bead matchup makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, Josh, Josh, I, I took notes on game two regarding Taco Fall. My note is he didn't play. And I went, oh. Well, he was hurt. He was hurt. Oh, he was had he? Like oh, a, okay. Yeah, he had, he had a yeah. high issue. Oh, um, thank you for saying that because I was sitting there thinking, oh, I guess he's only going to play against the Joel Embiid's of the world. I, I'm, I'm in <laughs> agreement with Josh. Let's see what he can do. And I mean, 
throw them out there in the regular season. Again, this year is evaluative. Let's include Taco Fall in that. If he can't, yeah. if he can't guard Joel Embiid a little bit in the regular season, then we know for sure he, he doesn't have a shot here. Yeah, we're not going to have him guard Embiid in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not supporting Taco, that. Taco Fall is uh, third from the bottom of our roster in my in my mind, ahead of only Shemi Ojale and Carson Edwards. Um, you got Tremont Waters above those three guys. Come on, you know I love Tremont. <laughs> All right, Mike. Final thought. <laughs> okay, final. Th- so, two actual positive notes. Uh, one, I thought everything we we saw from Tatum was pretty promising. Um, even tonight, he was plus five, uh, and he played the first three quarters, and we were down by like thirty. Yet when he was on the court, we were plus five, which is exactly how it felt watching the game. Um, when he was off the court. Uh, it didn't feel like we could score. When he's on the court, we look like a real basketball team. Um, even when he was playing with scrubs, as you were talking about before, Josh. Uh, so I think that is really, really promising for kind of, you know, that that what we're hoping for Tatum is really possible, that he's going to be, he could become one of those guys that can carry a team into the playoffs just by being on the roster. Um, the other... A uh, positive thing I had from tonight is it was pretty awesome, even though it came at our expense, just seeing Kevin Durant looking like Kevin Durant. It was shocking. He looked awesome. He was able to like cha- change direction. You know, the ball would swing over to him. He would kind of reverse cut off of the momentum of the ball. Super quick first step, explode to the hoop. Uh, his jumper was as smooth and silky as it always has been. Uh, it, it was pretty great just to see KD and, and the NBA is better with KD healthy. Um, yeah. So that, that was my other kind of preseason takeaway. All right. We will be back to preview the regular season before games start again. We will see this Brooklyn team again. I think it's game two, right, Josh? Yep. Game two. Game one is against the Milwaukee Bucks. Game two against the Nets. We'll have a season preview for you on the next pod. And a quick note to the fans, just remember, don't overreact to the Celtics preseason. Uh, don't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. Don't go to a crowded movie theater during COVID. Anything else? <laughs> yeah, listen to that. What, Jeff Clark has a rule. Is it the first 10 games or 20 games that he just doesn't? 20. Yeah. So you got to give this season some time. I think we talked in the offseason. This is an evaluative year. I'm speaking directly to Mike Minkoff right now. Uh, everything's okay. First okay. of all, those were my words. I know you're speaking to me. Yeah. I know it's an evaluative year. That's I why the words work so well. I'm going to over overreact because it's a proper reaction. You're both wrong. Fire. <laughs> More arguments to come on future podcasts. And as I tell my wife when we're arguing, everything's fine. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs>